price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. The legends are true. Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes, he's just trying to warn you of the bridge! The bridge! Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Giant fucking robot dinosaur. What's happening, everybody? Uh, we're talking about Rise of Zero Dawn today. Uh, anyways, anybody know where the weed's at? <laughs> I'm just getting here. Just a robot dinosaur doing robot dinosaur stuff. Uh, I'm a bruiser and, uh, you know, <laughs> surfing on a fucking machine gun. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, everybody? And I'm a fucking saber tooth tiger, but I'm also <laughs> a robot. You're not going to be alloy? <laughs> Oh, sorry. Hold on. And it's me, your brave female protagonist, Aloy. I'm an orphan, an outcast, but I don't take no shit, especially when it comes to being a hunter. I grew up in a tribal society, but I know how to fend for myself. And if the matriarchs don't like it, well, they can kiss my cooch. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to me. I'm a giant freaking... Robot dinosaur. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna take me down? Wait, I'm huge. I'm made out of metal. Hey, wh- why are you looking at those dangly things on my back? St- those aren't <laughs> yes, important. So don't, those don't, are fine. The glowing yellow things are not for you to. Hey, hey, hey! Shoot put that at. bow down. Stop. Stop. Don't. Don't <laughs> Stop. shoot my danglies. Oh, oh no! I, why am I stuck to the ground? Why am I stuck to the ground, Lord? All right. Oh, okay. Look, there's a little. I'll just move towards you and eat you. Oh, oh, I'm electric now. I'm electric. (laughs) You must have put a trap down. Welcome to our episode on Horizon Zero Dawn. As we are very excitedly uh, approaching the release date of Horizon Forbidden West. Is it out by the time this comes out? Who knows at this point? But uh, I will probably be playing it. I think it's just, it's almost there. Uh, Yeah, and uh, that's cool and rules the school. Uh, And I definitely have a gush for this game. Uh, this game actually coincides with right when I started streaming like full time professionally, like right when I left my day job for good. Um, and I remember Horizon Zero Dawn was actually one of the first afternoon Twitch stream games I did before I got uh, stuck in the PUBG Meta. pit for many, many uh, months after that. 
And uh, so it coincides with a really like happy time in my life. And I just remember it it being, you know, above the cut in terms of a solid open world experience with a really interesting story and solid characters and just did did a really good job of the treatment of something that I feel like we're starting to is starting to become really well-worn territory. But if you look towards the games that like really pushed it to the, you know, to its best form, the genre of open world games. GTA Five, uh, for sure. I would look at you know maybe Red Dead. Uh, wow, over, really over dodging the uh, elephant in the room. Breath of the Wild, <laughs> man. Breath. Of- oh, Breath of the Wild. You're of literally of in a post uh, calamity world of nature. Uh, you're aiming at fiddly little bits on giant lumbering machines that wander the world. You're trying to like restore the planet. Like it's. It was, it's, it's, you know, to this day, the Nintendo boys and the PlayStation arenas are still fighting on Reddit over which one is better. Well, Horizon Zero Dawn does what Nintendo don't, uh, and it is a really fun game. And what I think I like the most about this game, you know, I really, my, my favorite thing about playing video games in general would definitely be uh, that moment in a game where you're kind of, you know, it's feeling a little awkward, you're kind of banging your head against a little bit, and then it just has that click moment where all of a sudden you just get into this flow state with the game and everything clicks in and the mechanics get dialed in and you feel like, oh, I am like one with this game now. Like, I know what the makers intended for me to do. And I had that with Horizon Zero Dawn in an interesting way uh, in the sense that I felt like they give you all these different hunter tools, all these different traps and weapon types, bow and arrow, there's a melee attack. There's uh, the wire traps. There's the grapples to grab them on the ground. Ground, and I I had this whole oh shit moment where I realized oh they need you. They want you to use every tool in your tool belt in like most every encounter. And the second I started doing that and using the variety that the game provided to me, I started. I had that click moment, and it just it just the whole rest of the game just totally flowed so wonderfully for me and so yeah i uh and i love that they did that there's a reason for that holden and we god damn it i have it in my notes and we might just get into it please because i think for a lot of games you usually like find your one weapon that you just love and you just kind of lean on that you know what i mean oh my god holden we're oh my god there's like this is you're 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 a prophet yeah it's Holden, would you believe that the feelings and uh, things that you experience while playing a game were the deliberate uh, actions and intentions of a group of people working together to craft a virtual experience? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I guess it also goes to show that and and when we get into the dev process that this is really the summation of a bunch of different tools. uh, And by tools, I mean uh, development people um, in a toolbox that is a game development studio coming together to bring this like incredible experience to the public. And initially, I was worried going into this. I was like, I enjoyed this open world game. I think it's beautiful. I think it's one of the best, you know, PS4 offerings out there. I'm super excited about the new game. They've just done an excellent job. This studio, Gorilla, that to me seemed to kind of come out of nowhere because I'd never played a a Killzone game. For the record, sorry to interrupt, Holden, but just uh, if you're listening, uh, it's Gorilla. Like, oh shit, they're in the trees, Gorilla. Not like, ooh, 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 Gorilla. Yeah. We're talking about Gorilla games. Yeah, yeah. Even though 
throughout the episode, you'll be like, I'm pretty sure they're talking about ooh, ooh, ah, ah. But no, no, we're talking about, oh, shit, they're in the trees, gorilla. <laughs> yeah, gorilla games. I uh, But in, in learning more about the story, I definitely realized, like, this is a fascinating tale uh, told really well by Noclip, by the way. There's an incredible documentary on YouTube. But it's a really fascinating story about how a large group of people in a video game development studio, which is such a difficult, it's such a difficult thing to do because of how many people are involved, and um, when it comes to approaching risk in this sort of setting as well, especially when you're already just known for this very specific franchise that has nothing to do genre-wise with the one you're trying to bring to the table with uh, Horizon Zero Dawn's open-world approach and RPG approach. And it is it is such a fascinating story of how they were able to pull off seemingly the impossible. It's it's you know it's really cool to it gives you faith, especially right now while we're watching everybody buy everything up. Everybody's just like buying up buying up all these different studios. We do these episodes on EA Games and Activision, how they just take these studios and these properties and they dilute them until they're just um, lifeless and just giant money grabs. And this is a story about a group of people who said, no, we, we wanted to do something more and better than what we were already doing. And then they totally pull it off. It becomes a massive success. And it's not just fulfilling for the consumer. It's not just fulfilling for Sony, the publisher. It's not, it's not just fulfilling to the development people. Everybody wins. And you want to see more of these stories. Because usually it's like, they made this really artsy thing to the you know chagrin of Sony or uh, it wasn't as well liked as you know by the people as this other mainline thing they were you know what I mean you you hear that all these different times but it it it's so cool to see somebody to see people switch gears kind of like how Breath of the Wild switched gears to be quite honest with you actually when you think about it and take a big risk with the studio on a huge level, not not like a little risk. They didn't just put out some like side project indie game. No, no. They were like, our next big game is going to be this massive genre leap for us, this huge risk. It's going to take uh, seven years to make. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, we will all be out of a job. They probably would have been completely fucked if this thing did not work out. And I mean, at the end of the day, there was some really funny anecdotes of like the art guy turning to one of the other studio people and being like, like right before the big presentation at E3 and just being like, wait, are we like making a giant mistake? I mean, it's robot dinosaurs. Are people just going to laugh at this? You know, I mean, and that is so wild to think in hindsight now, like how well this game did and how, you know, Wonderful it is. It is also. We will also talk, go in more on the Breath of the Wild stuff, in the and and on uh, in the sense of and also I would say Last of Us. Also, all of a sudden we just got these like lush post-apocalyptic worlds mm-hmm. that were that are like post-post-apocalypse, so that the the greenery has grown back in as this massive departure from the dark, gritty, just one after the other games of the PS2, PS3 era. Mm-hmm. And now we're finally seeing these like really beautiful environments and things like that. It's really just interesting how um, I don't think anyone was stealing anything from anyone. I think that just there's a there's a collective like move towards these uh, gravitation towards these game concepts and games. As soon as rapid, as soon as mass available hardware is capable of finally rendering something that like previously they weren't able to easily render, it's gonna show up in a ton of different things. Yeah. So I think the, everything from the physics to just managing all the systems that you need 
to create a believable kind of uh, biome. And uh, it, yeah, it just, it just, as soon as you can, you will. Because like, how, why else, why bother with all this technology? Yeah, totally. Honestly, I've been playing the uh, PC port that, uh, by the way, great job, Sony. I like, yeah, Xbox has the Game Pass or whatever, but like, God and damn. every other studio that exists or whatever, but but as long <laughs> as you keep really, uh, just give me that Bloodborne PC <laughs> port, man. Just give me that Bloodborne PC port, and I'll, and we'll and we're square. <laughs> it was really nice playing this game. It, it's the first, honest to God, single player triple A campaign, uh, not campaign, but like open world game that I've played. I think in years, uh-huh. and I was hooked. Um, there was one day in particular where I was like, okay, for research, I'm just going to like immerse myself in this game. And like eight hours went by without even like yep. a stop for Yeah, a it's got that really good loop. It's got the that loop, really good man, game flow. The loop, goddamn. Yeah. One it's, more it's side good. quest, one more resource I want to get so I can unlock this uh, weapon or outfit. Just one more little thing. And just all those, just, I was just in a perfect dopamine zone. Um, uh, that being said, man, my aging AMD graphics card really, really showing it's really, I'm struggling to play a goddamn PS4 game over here. Have you, do you, the fidelity effects upscaling makes the game look so much worse. Goddamn. God, I just want DLSS. If you have a 2060 in your garage, just send it to me. I'll give you my home address. I will give you blood. Just like I'm sick of living this aging AMD life. Yeah, I think that Horizon Zero Dawn is a perfect representation of where we got to with video games around the time of its release in 2017. We will be talking about some of those really cool uh, inter- inter- integrations, such as um, a phrase called frustum culling. Every uh, game. As a to seamless. It's I know, but but it but that's what I'm saying. It's like a really good example of just like what where game development it was at 2017. Right? Super Mario 64 used Frustrum Calling. It's not <laughs> a. Th- it's just they made. A, there was that documentary that used that showed the demo of it working in real time. It got clipped into a GIF. It was posted on Reddit, and all of a sudden, all the fucking plebs were all crazy about Frustrum Calling because it's so cool. Because it's so cool. Because the idea that, it, it, and it's almost like a weird um, philosophical thing. Like it doesn't exist unless it's in your line of vision. It exists. Right? It just doesn't render. Yeah. It's just, you're just saving triangles. Well, Jake, I think it's interesting, and I think you're a bastard. <laughs> I mean, I am. I am just a filthy, mean little <laughs> piece of shit. But that's uh, besides the. point. I will also say, Jake did recreate his um, mobile game play experience. He did wheel the television and uh, PC uh, and monitor into the bathroom while he played Horizon Zero Dawn. The eight-hour experiences. What? Were, no, uh, I use Steam Link. I'm not a monster <laughs> oh, like- <laughs> while I play in the bathroom. <laughs> It's the goddamn future. So let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. Horizon Zero Dawn, a 2017 action role-playing open-world game developed by Guerrilla Games and published by Sony. The game follows Aloy, who must survive a post-apocalyptic world overrun by machines. Dinosaur machines! Bum, bum, as bum. she. <laughs> oh shit they're not just dinosaurs they're not just machines they're dinosaur machines as she <laughs> attempts to find out the truth about her mother whom she has never met uh so let's get into it let's talk about the lost boys 
Uh, let's talk about where Gorilla came from. That's the movie with the sexy saxophone guy, right? Yeah. I love that that's the one thing about the movie you remember is just that weird, over-sexualized saxophone man that's in like the first 15 minutes. I mean, it was the ultimate test of my heterosexuality, (laughs) and I had to just sit there and really ponder and be like, hmm, if I stick with this thing... I will never attain the love of sexy saxophone man, and all. Th- but then I was like, uh, "Yeah, no, I'm sticking with straight." After there you go, I, sexuality is a choice. That's what I'm implying with this whole. So is the, yeah. <laughs> so the opposite of what Gorilla Games did when they started with a first person shooter sort of scenario, that they switched mm-hmm. by choice to the RPG. <laughs> Uh, uh, open world. All right, let's get into though this interesting story of how this company came together. Because also, this is a Dutch game studio consisting of other Dutch game studios, um, and we're talking back in like the year two thousand and back in the late mid to late nineties um, when there really was this was pretty unheard of, and you know there aren't there weren't and, and there still aren't like a ton of there's not like a giant Dutch game development scene per se, but a lot more than there used no, to. No, Gorilla is the far and away the biggest studio in the country. And they consist of uh, three game studios that ended up merging together in the year 2000. The first is Orange Games, founded in 1993 by Arjun Broussier, who who initially had some success coding the game Jazz Jackrabbit, uh, which was on the PC. It was a total like Sonic the Hedgehog clone, essentially, released in 1994. You might have heard of uh, Jazz Jackrabbit because uh, in our Fortnite episode, it was one of Epic Games' early hits. I can't believe I forgot we did a Fortnite episode. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's where it came from. I was wondering, Jake, because I was like, wait, why do I know that name? Um, yeah, it was totally like a how fast can this fucking bunny run? Uh, that type of situation. Oh, it was a massive technical achievement. Uh, uh-huh. Russ was, uh, got his start in the demo scene. So his entire reason for being was to make slow home computers do things that they should not be able to technically do. That Nintendo don't. Cliff Blazinski also worked on Jazz Jackrabbit. Yes. We, we go into this in our uh, in the history of Epic Games in our Fortnite episode. Cliff Blazinski ends up working on Unreal, Gears of War for Epic uh, uh, out of that group. The second studio was Digital Infinity, founded by Arnaud von der Kamp uh, in 1995, and Formula Game Development, founded by Martin Durand, in 1998, Martin Duran, though, would end up selling his studio pretty quickly off to Lost Boys, a multimedia conglomerate owned by M- uh, Mikhail Moll, I believe is the name. He, You may know him from, if you're a fan of Formula One, he was um, a big part of one of the, I think the India r- racing one. Um, but anyways, he he was like part owner. Uh, but, but this was back in 1999. In 2000, the other two studios merged that I just mentioned to become Lost Boys Games, which of course is a subsidiary of Lost Boys, this multimedia company. Think like Virgin Interactive yeah. or uh, Lucas Games. You know, it's just a, it was the style at the time. Warner Brothers totally. Interactive, all these big media companies had game dev arms. Totally. Uh, Martin Durand was managing director at the time and they had 25 employees under their belt. This grows to 40 by the end of the year, still very, very small time at this stage. And their first games are very small time as well. Uh, they're doing uh, work for higher stuff for uh, the Game Boy Color. They're One of their first big games is Tiny Toon Adventures Dizzy's Candy Quest. Yeah, Small time stuff, handhelds, very, very, very Imagine working on a Tiny Toons, adventure, uh, Tiny Toons game in 2001. This is not the uh, top of the barrel. This is some kind of under level. 
That they are scraping. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of scrape their way up to success in a lot of ways. They, they, they really, it's a real gradual transition. Mikhail Moll, in 2003, Mikhail Moll founds a new media company, Media Republic, which focused on using new technology to market products. And that is why they come up with their name change to Guerrilla Games. They wanted to better reflect the new direction of this company that they now found themselves uh, a, subs- a subsidiary of. Um, and so with the name change, they also wanted to go in a new direction themselves. They didn't want to be working on handheld games for Nintendo anymore. And instead, they set their sights on the biggest, newest home video game console. So they put out two games uh, here in the early 2000s. The first game was Shellshock Nam 67, published by Eidos Interactive in 2004. I do not remember this game, Jake. No, uh, I looked at footage of it. It's just a very basic kind of uh, lowish poly uh, it's it's the tail end of the original Medal of Honor Call of Duty thing where you're just running through a pretty wide area just shooting enemy guys while people are like, watch out, take cover! And also, such a sign of the times, this comes out in 2004, released on PC, PS2, and Xbox. Uh, and it, it definitely plays into the whole like conversation around torture post 9-11 that, that's what the, that's really the big thing it's known for is like it's another one of those mini games G- GTA 5 I already mentioned earlier this episode had had it in it um, so many games had to have like a weird uncomfortable torture scene because people were talking about it all the time on the news uh, this game does not really make any waves just um, an interesting little bullet point the next game is the one that really puts them on the map as a game studio um, eventually the first game doesn't do huge huge gangbusters so this is like a super uh, in the docu- in the no clip documentary they go into how they just went into a pitch for Sony and they get they dangled in front of Sony the one thing that they really needed the most at that time, which was a first a Western style first person shooter, because yeah. the original PlayStation 2 lineup had really nothing to uh, compete against Halo. And Halo was uh, the killer app for the Xbox. And, totally. you know, PlayStation 2 had amazing RPGs. They had uh, Final Fantasy X. They had. Uh, tons of great action games, beat 'em ups, uh, you know, all the thing, all the beloved PlayStation Two games you can think of. But there was just this j- gaping hole in their uh, portfolio, which was an exclusive, high production Western first person shooter. And even though Guerrilla was kind of an unproven studio at the time, you know, they uh, just sat him down and was like, "We can do this. We can do it cheaply. You know, we can do it uh, within." The time frame you needed to happen, and uh, here's some concept artwork. And Sony was like, "We don't care. Like, just make it. We it's in imba- We're humiliated right now. Give us a shooty boom boom." Executive producer Angie Smet said, "Killzone was a very challenging project, mainly because we had so little experience. Looking back on it, it's a miracle that we shipped that game." Oh yeah, the PlayStation Two was a nightmare to pro. Oh no, the PlayStation Two and the PlayStation. It's not 3. as bad as the PS3, but yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, and they they were fucking doing Tiny Toon yeah. Game Boy Color games before this. Picture twenty young people who'd. 
never shipped a console game. We were a bit naive, maybe arrogant. We thought, what could go wrong? Other people are making PS2 games. Why can't we? We learned a lot. It was a hard process. We crunched ridiculous hours because we didn't know how to do the development process in the proper way. I remember a conversation with Michael Waring, the tech director, where I said that if we were going to keep doing this, we really needed to get better at the whole process of making games. That's where I've been focused ever since. It's just amazing to hear that quote because just from the get-go, this is an incredibly uh, aggressively developing, evolving game dev company that has chutzpah, my friend, that has a bulls, that, that... sees what's going on and say and just says hey we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna grow we're gonna do more and we're gonna get bigger and um you know to the sacrifice of probably a lot of people's families and things like that at that time if they were just jumping into the deep end of of developing a major console game uh having had no idea what that process is and 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 this is what they do during the rest of the time with Killzone is really hammer down the development process of making a AAA high-end ma- you know major console game on a Sony console right? that's so, like super key uh yeah is the fact that Sony's hardware especially in the PlayStation 2 and 3 era were kind of a uh, kind of specialized the cell processor that they used in the PS3 was uh you know I've heard one developer compare it to like trying to uh wrangle an entire like rabid classroom full of kids to just do what you need them Uh, to do yeah well the xbox is like one study group that like yeah you know there's less of them but they'll just do what they're told totally Um, the killzone games are have incredibly strong design and that was apparent already from the beginning uh the hellgast are these like incredibly memorable kind of hybrid fascist uh, stormtrooper dudes with gas masks and glowing orange eyes. Uh, and the ISA troops are kind of high lit with this, like, actually, I think it's like PlayStation Blue. Looking at the original cover art, it says with net play, and they're using the exact say, uh, shade of PlayStation Blue that the heroes use. And that orange and blue contrast kind of carries through all of their games, heavily in the Killzone games, because the bad guys are specifically glowing orange but the even in horizon zero dawn the uh corrupted dinosaurs have this orange hue where the uh tame or like uh, peaceful dinosaurs have the same kind of soft sky blue coloring that uh the killzone games carried through and all of these killzone games had to take special steps to integrate whatever feature uh sony was like eager to push upon the audience uh, Killzone had their is one of the first games that was netplay compatible, uh, and you know Sony was very you know Xbox Live was kind of another uh, stinging point for the Sony Xbox comparison. Uh, Xbox Liberation used a ton of uh, PSP exclusive features. Killzone Three not only had integration with the PlayStation Move control, this was of course their attempt to do Wiimotes, and they had never found like a real use for it before they introduced the uh, PlayStation VR helmets. But uh, also, the game will run in stereo... Wow, that's a hard uh, word to say. (laughs) Stereoscopic 3D. uh, Back when PlayStation... Remember when PlayStation was trying to sell their own lines of 3D-compatible TVs? Yeah. Where, like, uh, one of the features... God. One of the features was uh, you could... One player would not wear glasses and the other player 
would wear glasses and the screen would flash back and forth between each of their screens so that two people could play 1v1 off the same TV without screen peeking. <laughs> the legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. You know, Guerrilla Games, they're the company team. They got to integrate that shit. But these Killzone games were never, they just were never respected. They were never good enough to compete. I never played one. Did you play a Killzone game? Uh, No. The most exposure I ever had was uh, when the PS4 first came out, I watched a playthrough of uh, Shadowfall. And that was a very interesting game. Amazing technical showpiece. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it used the the uh, whatever the you know it used the touchpad that was on the PS4 controller. It used all these interesting features. It's beautiful, and it actually kind of uh, did this thing where they humanized the evil, spooky Nazi people mm. as like actual like victim. Because in one of the games, their home planet gets like full on destroyed. And they actually like delve into the hell gas motivations and their culture. But the game itself kind of uh, fizzles out at the end because it really was a glorified tech demo when all was said and done. Totally. A launch game that actually helps them. We'll, we'll talk about it in the timeline in just a second, but really a game that helps them a just get their uh, footing on the new PS4 console and also that game that they could make while they were kind of in secret off to the side developing this Horizon Zero Dawn completely new concept and and, uh, franchise launching video game uh, that was... This is is all to say that while Naughty Dog and Insomniac and all these uh, Sony first-party dev studios were kind of getting all this acclaim and respect and winning these awards, Gorilla was just kind of this also ran company. They were just kind of, they were the kill zone guys. They were there to make the pretty good first person shooters so that Sony fan, Sony owners didn't feel completely left in the dark. Totally. Killzone, uh, the first comes out in 2004. Killzone 2 is released on PS3. Uh, and um, Killzone 3 is released in 2011, I believe also for PS3, but did not do quite as well. It was a sign of the beginning of the end for the franchise. Angie Smith says, It was around halfway through the development of Killzone 3. What we do as a management group, we meet every week. We try not to talk too much about day-to-day issues we resolve and instead focus on the long-term vision for the studio. We were asking ourselves, I think, how many more kill zones do we really want to make? We had the third one. 
and we had a PSP game, Killzone Liberation. We were growing. We were getting better. The support staff was getting better. We were asking ourselves whether we were getting the most out of our talent and our people. I remember the, a moment of Herman saying we should maybe start something new. Herman's the managing director. I think we were triggered by that idea. From a creative perspective, doing something different sounded good. Sounded really appealing. Uh, so, so yeah. And, and also, uh, I don't believe we've mentioned this yet. Killzone, not super strong on the story aspect. Uh, very linear in its design. And very dark mm-hmm. and gritty. So and a first person shooter. So these are these are kind of the the pinnacle of HD era brown and gray. Exactly. Although they're des- like I said, the design team did use color effectively amongst the brown and gray. <laughs> yes, but definitely in that dirge of game releases where everything was oh yeah, everything was a fucking <laughs> tool music video. Uh, and uh, it was time to start moving on. And I just want to say in general, I, me- I remember playing Witcher 3 for the first time and a lot of games around this time and being so happy to see some color in my games. <laughs> so happy to see lush environments, uh, you know, and, and, and beauty and richness of uh, vibrant color in gaming. I was like, thank you, Lord. I loved, let's say, even, for example, like the Arkham games, mm-hmm. right? I like love those games, but man... You know, playing Spider-Man on uh, PS4, PS5, it's like, oh, it's so happy to just see a beautiful, vibrant Manhattan, Mm -hmm. you know? Not like just everything is just so uh, dark and twisted with a Z. Uh, So they uh, start looking for other ideas. Angie Smet said, we looked at everything that was out in the market. We were doing first-person shooters, and that was becoming a very saturated market. I think more than 50 shooters were coming out every year at the time. You especially had Call of Duty. Everybody was playing Call of Duty. They had multiple studios. They were adding studios to build the franchise. Every single year, they would pump out a new Call of Duty. We felt it was impossible for us as a small team to compete with keep, compete with that. So they asked everybody there, everybody at Gorilla, to just bring in ideas, any ideas, uh, while they're working on this final kill zone game. Uh, they also, though, and I always talk about how, you know, great things come from restrictions and constraints. Uh, it's it's usually not just a completely open-ended thing. And so it was really brilliant of them to put together about a eight to ten page document that states specifically what they're looking for in order to narrow the idea pool down a bit. Angie said, this document was full of ambition. It clearly said we wanted to create a franchise. It had to be epic and ambitious. It had to have passion and cinematic storytelling. It wasn't an easy task. It also talked about how big we saw it. We really asked the team to think big. It was amazing. We got about 40 ideas, I think, in total over six or eight weeks. People would team up. A programmer would have a great idea and then get a concept artist to visualize it. That was great. It's a great way to ignite the creativity of the team. They literally only get, just to show you how fatigued they were from Killzone, they only get like two just straight up FPS Mm -hmm. game pitches. That's it. Everything else. Some things had little elements that maybe came from kills, like post-apocalyptic world even is obviously something that there was still being pitched. And these these sorts of things. But no one wanted to just do another straight-up first-person shooter. They were all over the map. Uh, another theme to the pitches were that most involved a lush, green, beautiful world. And uh, this was a huge departure from the Killzone series. And one pitch stood out from the rest. Uh, and that pitch was already literally titled Horizon. 
and it was submitted by the art director there named Jan Bart Van Beek. So the uh, I'm working off of a GDC talk from 2018 called Horizon Zero Dawn, a game design postmortem. Uh, don't bother reading it yourself because I've already clipped all the good bits for this episode. <laughs> this pitch was, uh, you know, it was concept art and a PowerPoint presentation. And there were four key things that they were that the pitch focused on majestic wilderness in a post-apocalyptic world, the opposite of uh, kill zones, bleak dystopias and bombed out uh, buildings like lush, green, expansive, no more shooty shoot hallways, awe inspiring machines and unique in with a unique inhuman uh, kind of combat. Uh, the opposite of the endless waves of mooks that you're just gunning down with a machine gun. Exotic tribes and interesting cultures. Again, the opposite of just the stark fascist and military designs that all the characters had in all the Killzone games. And a open world, not the linear campaign style levels of Killzone. This was already just from the get-go, the opposite, exact opposite of everything they'd worked on up until that point. All this was in 2011, so they were still on the hook for Shadowfall for the PS4 launch. So uh, they basically just took two and a half years to work on the concept phase. Uh, it was about eight to 16 coders, designers, and animators just building prototypes, just building these uh, little kind of concept pieces just to hash out like, okay, so you fight dinosaurs. What is that like? Okay, well, the dinosaurs are big. So you hack off little pieces of them. There's a great uh, piece of footage where they just use one of the kill zone people with a rocket launcher aiming at what I will charitably call a untextured Minecraft creature with a bunch of colorful bits sticking out of it. And you (laughs) watch the character just shoot little blocks off of the core block that's supposed to be the dinosaur. Um, Stuff like, uh, well, what abilities do the player ha- does the player have? What's the story? How does this open world function? And all of these little pieces were just built as these single-use proof of concepts. They built one where uh, Alloy, uh, or I don't know if Aloy, I don't know if she was named yet, but they already had this red-haired Merida... From the very beginning, the female lead, by the way, and I think it's interesting, too, because the development process started so long ago. We'll talk a little bit more about this female lead because it was a slight point of contention with Sony at first, but I think a lot of people, like, by the, it's a really interesting game in the sense that by the time it came out, it was like, oh, everybody's doing a female lead these days or whatever. But they were also, in the case of Bioshock Infinite, hiding them from the front covers. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it's really interesting um, how many things they had in place before it became like a standard for the industry years later. But even something simple like, okay, we want mounted traversal. So how does your mount uh, understand how to avoid trees so that like you're not just, because if uh, in this game, they wanted mounted combat and mounted resource gathering. And if you're just having to dodge rocks this whole time, like, uh, you know, just all these itty bitty problems and concepts that they're just uh, working on this small team trying to refine. They even had a early version of uh, the city of Meridian uh, known as Mesa City in this early demo with different people 
walking around. It's it's a it's a terrifying demo because they didn't have any voice acting. So everybody's talking in that weird text to speech voice, just being like, <laughs> "Where do you come from, traveler? <laughs> I have wares to sell." They also had a world map that was five times the size of GTA Five at that time. Uh, and they wanted it just to be as big as humanly possible. They also uh, one could have the, they wanted you to finish the story and only be at thirty five percent completion. Just these big, way over the top ideas early on, but then of course realize like, hey, if we pull the size of the map in a, more and we just fill it, populate it better with things really everywhere you can go without it feeling too cramped. Tight. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which again is so funny because going back to uh, um, Breath of the Wild, I feel like that's very much the approach there design-wise as well. And started because for a while there was kind of funny. It was like, first there was a race to see, you know, it was kind of around the same time as like the graphical arms race. It was like, how good can we make the game look equals the quality of the game? For a while there, too, is like, how big can the world map be equals how good the game is? And then people started to realize, like, oh, if you make it so huge that uh, BJ, what's his name in GTA uh, San Andreas? Oh, CJ. CJ is, like, just lost in the woods uh, (laughs) on a motorbike with nothing around for miles and miles. It it actually leads to some pretty uninteresting gaming moments. And, And then realizing, oh, if we tighten this up and we just populate it so well... Um, but the female lead going back to the female lead, um, that was uh, part of the first pitch. They did get a little pushback from Sony. They were surprised though, that when they took it to focus testing and they focus tested this game a lot, Mm -hmm. uh, they showed that folks were actually really excited to see a female lead, that that was actually a kind of an interesting novel thing at the time, unfortunately. And I think that that has largely changed since. She did develop a lot, though, and this goes to show where we were at as an industry. Initially, she was totally this, like, Disney princess and very, like, bright and shiny and cookie cutter. And uh, Smet said we made her a bit older, a bit tougher, a bit louder. We changed her voice. We got Ashley Birch, a great VO actress, Ashley's uh, brother, uh, how she got into the industry. Her brother was hired to write on Borderlands 2, and that's what got her to audition uh, in for an audition for the role of Tiny Tina. And the rest is history. She initially God. did that character and then has... The fact yeah. that the old web shorts, Hey Ash, What You, what you Playing, which she featured in heavily... I mean, she's literally in the title, is now like ancient internet history. Just made me feel so old. Isn't that wild? Uh, yeah, she also is Chloe in Life is Strange, which is a fantastic role. She was Cassie Cage in Mortal Kombat X. She's done a ton of great stuff. For her look, they actually consulted with anthrop- anthropologists to learn about what defines a tribe. For Aloy, they incorporated the different animals that exist in her environment into her clothing, as that was what she would be using. Uh, if you if you look, there are certain tribes that um, work more with metals. You see more medals integrated into their costumes. They did a lot of really interesting stuff in terms of research uh, on tribes and things like that, incorporating that into the environment and into the the people of the world. So uh, in this early prototyping phase with these small teams, they, you know, were like, okay, we got the dinosaurs. We got the traversal. We got the, uh, we got all these kind of things laid out, but they actually hadn't nailed a gameplay loop. And what the team settled on as the core loop was uh, explore, interact, gather, progress, and repeat. And uh, that vision stayed pretty true to the final thing. You go out into the world, you find a dinosaur, you find a uh, bandit camp, you find something, 
you interact, which uh, in most cases means shoot the dangly bits. Yeah. And then you gather all the resources you can carry, and then you kind of use those resources to level up your weapons, gather new ammo types, buy and sell, uh, get a little bit stronger, get a little bit new mechanics unlocked, and then go back into the world and repeat. So right now, uh, we're in 2014, the studio shipped Shadowfall, and now the full 180 staff of Gorilla is ready to work on Horizon. 180, mind you. Uh, This is... Uh, in our Halo episode, we talked about how it took like 500 people to make Destiny 1. So this is still a relatively small team for a AAA game. Um, but the concept team had left a lot of questions completely unanswered. Uh, how big is the open world? How dense is it going to be? Um, what is like uh, all the actual in- abilities of Aloy isn't uh, set. The story is a complete blank. Yeah. They had not worked on the story at all, except for like little pieces of concept art to kind of get the vibe. And it's one of their weaker points as a company in general. They're yeah. just not known for story on any level, much less like quest design, which is another big, big hole in their initial uh, setup. So the team is split into three main groups, core design, which works on uh, the combat, the user interface, and all the little player systems like, uh, you know, the quest system, the resource system, all the all the things that how the player interacts with this world. World design, which is designing the encounters, the side quest activities, and just the uh, incidental of things that are happening out in the world. And then the main quest team, which is working on the main story, the side quests, and how the tutorials are laid out. Um, this is when a lot of changes happen. Very quickly, because they bring in uh, to help uh, as head of nar- uh, narrative design, John Gonzalez, who you might remember yes, from our goddamn Fallout episode, because he was the head writer on Fallout goddamn New Vegas. Very interesting uh, project for him, though. He was talking about in that No Club the Clip documentary how, you know, Fallout New Vegas, you create your own character. You have to come up with, they, they as a uh, team have to come up with any different possible approach to the game you might have. You may be super smart tech wizard in that game, or you may be like a barbarian. This game, set character, you know, that, that needs to have an arc, that needs to be developed in, in more specific ways. And uh, But John Gonzalez, I mean, one of the greatest things about Fallout New Vegas, I think a lot of people would say, is that is the writing in that game, and is the story of that game, and what it brings to the Fallout franchise. Some say would say it's even pr- probably the one of the strongest ones, if not the strongest ones in terms of that aspect. So uh, that was huge. Then for quest design, they bring in David Ford, who started out working on the game EverQuest, and then had uh, just come out from working on Elder Scrolls, uh, the MMO uh, for Elder Scrolls. So yeah, just, I mean, a quest master. I didn't, I'm, I'm kind of surprised they even got these guys. Like, yeah. it's uh, they're, they're legends, you know? So uh, some of the changes that are immediately brought in is uh, initially Aloy was going to be riding a horse around because uh, it was supposed to be this rare creature that like had survived after all this time so despite the robots but uh, the having to write a narrative reason for there still to be megafauna in this world where there's infinite self-replicating robot creatures competing for resources yeah. like was just too much to work on and it gave the uh, player more excuses to interact and like engage with the robots in this world, which is the selling point of this game. 
The uh, individual robots were given roles within the ecosystem. So you had the grazers, you had the watchers, you know, like all of a sudden there was narrative and environmental reasons for these robots to interact with everything and it fit in the world better. Uh, Even stuff like the Talnecks, which were these massive giraffe-like things with the big dish heads that serve they were integrated into becoming the towers. The towers that every open world game had at that time and still m- most of them have where you you uh, have to climb up these giant beasts and like unlock the top of them to get that, open up that part of the world map on your menu. In a uh, in the unedited interview with John Gonzalez, uh, he calls working with Gorilla, quote, the most incredible creative environment he's ever been a part of. The level for concern for employees across the top to the bottom, I've never seen before. A true concern for the experience uh, for everyone involved and an egalitarian ethos, but their collective ambition is limitless. And I think one of the things that made Horizon Zero Dawn possible is the fact that this is a Danish company. And um, one of the things uh, that is constantly... Uh, debated when it comes to Dutch culture is the law of Yanti or Yantiloven, which is the fact that in many uh, Nordic countries, there is this incredible pressure to maintain an egalitarian society. Uh, the law of Yanti is based on a satirical novel. Uh, and in the novel, there are 10 rules uh, that state You're not to think you are anything special. You're not to think you are as good as anybody else. You're not to think you are smarter than anybody else. You're not to imagine that you're better than anyone else. You're not to think that you know more than anyone else. You're not to think that you are more important than anyone else. You're not to think that you're better at anything uh, than anyone else. You're not to laugh at anyone. You are not to think anybody cares about you specifically. You are not to think you can teach anyone anything. Obviously, this novel was a condemnation of Nordic culture, but the end result is is that, honest to God, Holland has some of the highest uh, like self-reported happiness of any country in international polls. It has the lowest gender pay gap in any other country. Uh, It is a highly functional society with amazing public resources, amazing social safety nets. And uh, incredibly high levels of uh, unionization and worker organization, uh, incredibly high pay rates for people. You know, the one of the things that people always point to is like you can earn twenty five dollars an hour working at McDonald's in uh, in Holland. Like it's just this incredibly collective experience that. While many people, again, I can already feel people's freedom bone tingling in disgust. Uh, it means that, you know, there's a level, a social code that is uh, respected there. And the fact is, is throughout the development of this game, it's the collective of Gorilla that is constantly iterating on each other, uh, taking ideas from each other, respecting each other's input. And uh, there really is no, like, runaway auteurs from Guerrilla Games. Though I will say, I will say to two, they, we are leaving out two incredibly important people that they would bring in from the West. And these collaborators would really give the game its zest. Yeah, those are hotshot American cowboys. I uh, know. I'm <laughs> talking about Whoopi Goldberg and her partner on the police force, 
Theodore Rex. That's not. Everybody, that's... get on the floor. <laughs> it's time to do the dinosaur. They came in. They were like, we got to fix the machines. Dinosaurs wouldn't talk like this. Dinosaurs wouldn't act like this. Theodore was incredibly persistent. He would he would literally Constantly eat... knock over, knocking over computers with his large tail. <laughs> he would eat employees in front of the team to show them how a dinosaur would molest and attack uh, different human beings out in a field-like situation. It was unbelievable. So, yeah. Yes, of course, they had their way of working cohesively together, but we needed two hotshot superstars, and that came with the co-host of The View and uh, the world's first dinosaur cop. Uh, another no, but get, but another legit uh, process when it comes to design that I really like. They talked about it in the um, in the no clip documentary that I thought was really interesting. I never really thought about it. Um, it has a floofy name, and that is intrinsic ideation. But it's essentially just ter- the a term that refers to like not just throwing a bunch of stuff into the game because it is cool, mm-hmm. not just like throwing a ton of stuff in the pot that's just like this would make it cooler and this would make it interesting like more like like badass and uh only really including elements that are fundamentally add to what the game is about what the game what, what, what the story the the look everything being this like very cohesive put together thing and i think you feel that in this game i think you get that sense of like like the you know they went with dinosaurs because they wanted to return to a time where of of tribalness mm-hmm. right and originally they had militaristic machines that Aloy was going to be fighting there was something off there yeah the machines looked super cool and like had a bunch of dope designs to them and shoot shot a bunch of rockets and stuff but they were just like this doesn't feed into what we're working on and that's how they got to the dinosaurs which arguably you would say, oh, that sounds like cooler than militaristic machines. But still, the idea was like, how do we get what we're trying to convey about like returning to tribal land, tribal society? Let's have them like, what what would the caveman have fought? You know what I mean? Essentially, and that's how they get to dinosaurs and more prehistoric creatures uh, in robot form. So I thought that was like a really fascinating um, uh, approach as well. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast paced world, Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. So in 2015, the game is uh, pretty much done and they're moving on to the polish phase and uh, they invite 20 playtesters to come in. Uh, They have all their needs taken care of, uh, hotels, meals, whatever, and their sole job is to play through the completed game over the course of five days and they're given uh, surveys and feedback forms and their play is constantly monitored. And after five days, the testers come back and they say, 
we fucking hate this game. <laughs> they claim it's unbalanced, buggy, that the core mechanics weren't fun. One uh, playtester used the words beyond disappointing. And this was after five years of round the clock development. Smet said there was a lot of things that sounded good on paper and didn't work out so well for real. We started over a lot of times to get that core combat loop where it had to be. I think we thought we would be able to do that more quickly, but it took way more iteration. It was just before we announced the game in 2015. I think the six months before that is when the combat loop finally got together. We finally had a proper demo showing that core gameplay loop. And I actually remember when they showed the combat demo at E3, and that was definitely the thing that made me super excited to play that game. When they have her hunting, you know, was it a Thunderclaw that, that she hunts? The, the big, the big like, T-Rex yeah, robot? Yeah, something big and spooky. I believe so, right? She, and, like, and slides just, underneath and shoots his belly. Yeah, and shoots the weak point in the belly, and she's attaching the the creature to the ground and uh, with the tethers and everything. And it just didn't look, it looked new. It looked fresh and something I really wanted to get my hands on like ASAP because it just was, oh, wow, this is like, I was almost intimidated by it. I was like, am I even going to like this? This seems like a lot for like a single combat encounter. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the game, when it really clicked in and I was utilizing all of the tools they gave me, it was fun as hell. It was super cool. It's interesting that you talk about that because one of the problems that they had to solve was that the playtesters, one of the things that they really wanted to uh, have in the game was that these dinosaurs had multiple ways to take down, that there was no yeah. right way to do it and that the player could approach it with their own uh, kind of ideas about what to do. And um, the problem was is that infinite options means infinite complexity and playtesters would hit difficulty spikes when uh, a solution that they had relied upon up until that point were no longer effective when they came across a new dinosaur type that required a different strategy. One version of the game tried to take away this complexity by just making like weapons not work at all against the wrong type of dinosaur, kind of making a solution mandatory. But then the testers that enjoyed the previous system hated that system, so still nobody was happy. And the uh, solution they came up with was the focus tool, uh, Aloy's little triangular cyber barrette that kind of uh, brings up information, uh, lets you see tracks, lets you see all sorts of things, but most importantly, shows you information at a glance of the dinosaur you're about to fight so that you can form a strategy in real time mm -hmm. and actually... Instead of saying, like, use the blue key to open the blue door, you kind of just see the little fire logo and you're like, hmm, I bet I can use fire arrows on this. So it kind of guides the player more towards uh, kind of a gentle hand to kind of seeing where the strategy, ideal strategies are without kind of just... Uh, giving up a big stop sign. Also, also what feeds into that, I think as well, just from playing the game, is their quick crafting menus. Oh my God, that was such a brilliant move. Yeah, right? Like, and it's 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 a nice little touch where they just make crafting really easy to do on the go. You don't jump into a menu 
from like the main screen. It sort of pops up on the screen. It's incredibly quick, and you need it all the time in actual combat encounters because you'll run out of let's. And it's very obvious what they're weak to. Uh, they they make that known, and so you you know you might need more <laughs> fire arrows, let's say, or something like that. And if you run out, you're not fucked. You can totally go find that stuff, craft really fast on the fly, and it feels good. It it doesn't feel like frustrating or aggravated it feels it feels nice and it and it, i think it feeds into that hunter aesthetic of like of like oh i need to like find stuff in the environment around me right now to quickly craft into the thing that it, they're weak against to continue to take them down and they allow you to do that in a way that feels like i'm a badass hunter and not oh shit oh shit everything sucks right now yeah. you know what i mean no, it gives you the dopamine hit of gathering resources and getting that little pickup ping, that little drip of like, I got it, I got a thing, without having to do the Minecraft thing where you're just like going through menus and dragging yeah. things around and doing all the kind of things that makes crafting kind of a slog for a majority of people. Another problem was the increasing human presence in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. In the original design document, in the original prototypes, they never even considered human combat. But as soon as you introduce conflict and a plot, you have to fight humans because it's not like the dinosaurs have a plan. The dinosaurs can't talk. The dinosaurs are just hanging out. Unfortunately, Theodore Rex was trying to include <laughs> more leather jacket wearing, high chain top smoking, dinosaurs. Yeah, high top sneakers wearing dinosaurs. They were like, I don't think we should do this. You know, at one point, I believe they had to drug him and wrap him up in some kind of tarp and, and drop him in the middle of Eastern Europe. No one knows where what happened to Theodore Rex after that point. They're still looking for him. And Whoopi Goldberg, they straight up uh, murdered and replaced him. I'm not with trying to blow up your spot, Holden. I love this riff. I just need to know for my own personal benefit. Have you even actually seen Dinah's, uh, Theodore Rex or did you just remember the VHS box art from Blockbuster? <laughs> I have seen clips and I have listened to the How Did This Get Made episode on it. Uh, so I feel like spiritually I have seen the film. Their solution for the human problem was uh, because they just did not have enough time to work on all the systems necessary to make human combat as complex as the dinosaur combat uh, was to make the encounters more engaging, uh, kind of falling back on their skill set from the kill zone games. If you, uh, a lot of the plot heavy human fights in the game have chest high walls for cover and lots of architecture and lots of like scripted events running around. And um, even the developers themselves admit that because of the open world. Uh, nature of the game like you don't know how a player is even going to approach any of these encounters and uh, I'm fairly confident they're going to refine that in the sequel because if they themselves are like yeah the human fights were a little samey like we could have done better given more money and time they'll probably make it better yeah yeah for sure even stuff like the in-game economy where uh, a issue that they pointed out was like uh, testers wouldn't know what a uh, watch your heart was or if it was important and that it meant CPU or how resources related to upgrades and they were kind of overwhelmed by everything and um, they admit that was like something that they tried to refine but couldn't quite do it another thing was the tutorial a lot of people are kind of uh, put off by the early game tutorial with baby Aloy uh, the developer who did the GDC talk uh, Eric Boltius 
uh, talks about how like, yeah, we really thought those distraction rocks were going to be a much bigger deal in the final game. Sorry, we made you go through 40 minutes of distraction rock training before <laughs> you could play the actual game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely it definitely has the stealth vibe, too, that I, I always find funny where like. Um, where did that sound come from? It looks like it's over there by that mountain of dead creatures just like me. Oh, well, I guess I'll go investigate. Oh, take it down again. At least it's not humans. It's it's cre- it's maybe deceivable robot creatures, but still very funny how that totally works out every time. Uh, that's that's a bit of a stealth issue people have had to figure out. Um, but yeah, they they, you know, I think a big part of this was how long... They were how much time they were given to nail this whole process down. The game was officially announced, as we said, at Sony's 2015 E3 press conference with the initial release date for 2016. It was delayed to February 2017 for some final polish. And these final months were apparently incredibly critical to the success of the game. And apparently, and it's a cool thing to see because you were just talking about how good Guerrilla Games is to its employees, seemingly, from what we've read. Like, like as an indication that that uh, quote from uh, the producer, uh, Angie Smets, earlier saying, you know, after that first kill zone, we realized that, like, we can't have this kind of crunch. It's not going to work. We have to figure out how to treat our employees better. Like, that's such a novel thing to hear <laughs> when it comes to game development. And uh, it's really amazing they try to implement ways to, you know, give thing time for things to breathe. Well, apparently Sony was incredibly supportive of their timelines pushing back and their deadlines and their release date getting pushed back saying that, you know, as long as they essentially said, as long as we explained to Sony why we needed the time, they were incredibly supportive and gave that to us. And I, I know it seems silly to highlight that, but it's so unusual to hear that when it comes to game development, and it's something we need to implement more. So it's really cool. I'm sure there was still crunch when it came to this game, and who knows, maybe some uh, Kotaku article is going to come out about that at some point. But until then, it does seem like Gorilla is a little bit above the pack or ahead of the pack when it comes to how they treat their employees when it comes to crunch, how they uh, go about um, product development and not just forcing something out of the gate that's going to have to get fixed over and over again. In fact, pretty sure I played Horizon Zero Dawn like right on release, and I'm pretty sure um, it was really, really a solid experiment experience from the get-go and not something that needed a ton of updates. I think there were a lot of issues with um, the PC port crashing at first, mm. um, just on a quick Google. It seemed like that was uh, I was getting results uh, talking about that, so that's the only reason why I say that. But besides that, it seems like you know a cool situation that we don't we don't see as much these days where they just like made sure to take their time until they knew they had the product they wanted and then released it to the public, which is why I think this game ends up being a huge critical success. It ends up selling 7.6 million units Seven in that points, first year. Oh, in the first year. All right. First year. And so that, which completely blew away Gorilla's expectations. Do you have a Do you have a better metric for me? Or all, all, all told, in twenty twenty, they were up to ten million uh, a year. Wow. Then the PC release came out, uh, moving another like million copies, and now it's on sale on Steam for half price. So I'm sure they're going to move a, and, and the sequel's coming out. So there's probably renewed interest. Gorilla through this project went from Sony's like sad little also ran. Uh, Killzone team to one of the most 
highly watched and highly anticipated first party developers in Sony's library. Like up there equal to Naughty Dog in terms of totally. uh, fan anticipation and investment. Incredible. And it was the it was the gaming community that really surprised them the most. Smet said, the response from the community, I think we didn't see that coming. We were overloaded with nice messages, fan art, cosplayers, people sharing their screenshots, people sending the most fantastic things. The love from the community, I think maybe that had the biggest impact on the team. We felt so rewarded to see that we made something that was loved by so many people. And I think that that is where we get to our thesis for this episode, our little like bring it all together point. And that is like... If you have a team and you're treating each other good and you have the right intention and you actually do want to make something great that you feel passionately about, you can, with great ambition, create something on the same level as a Call of Duty in terms of success and in terms of community engagement and love for the game. And so going into this, I was like, what's this going to be? It just It's like another really good AAA game you know, on the list of amazing AAA games, like what's, what's going to actually set this apart. I mean, even the name of the, of the game is, is arguably kind of generic and weird. I mean, I was like even laughing about the name, but it's like horizon zero dawn. Like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Everything about this just seems like it was, um, sort of factory made in these certain ways. And then you look at the story, you're like, wow, these guys had no business making something this good. They made it as a community. They made it as a group of people with, it seems like, mutual respect and love and adoration for the art of game making. And all told, it seems like a really healthy, positive process that was sure full of probably anxiety due to the amount of risk they were that was involved. But besides that, we seem to be like this really healthy amazing, artful process of creating a great video game. And in a world where Activision is king and we get a, a, a form factory Call of Duty every single year, it's fucking awesome to see that. The uh, prestige and dignity of a first-party game, whether it's something like uh, Super Mario Odyssey or uh, Last of Us 2 or even things like Horizon Zero Dawn, like I... I'm glad they're there yeah. because Lord knows uh, we're not, like nobody in the there's not going to be an NFT component to Forbidden yeah. West. There's not going to be microtransactions. <laughs> it's thank God. It's just honest to God. Great ass video games made by very talented people. I'm putting way more time into into uh, Horizon Zero Dawn than I'm putting into any Call of Duty personally. I mean, I love a game experience mm-hmm. like this. You know, it, it is. It is really what I gravitate towards. The DLC, by the way, the Frozen Wilds, fantastic edition, uh, very nice meaty DLC that opens up a whole extra area of the map for Ailey to explore and a whole new, um, uh, smaller, albeit, but a nice uh, overarching um, quest for Aloy to pursue. Um, and of course, we now have the sequel game uh, set to release the 18th of February. I'm not sure if this comes out before then or not. So who knows? Uh, looks fantastic. I'm really excited because I just moved to California earlier this year or last year. So this game is going to be a post-apocalyptic version of the Western United States, including California, Nevada, and Utah. Uh, it's going to surf's up, brah. 
You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm ready for it. Released on the PS4 and PS5. It's definitely going to be also utilizing as this company is like a Sony kind of developed company. It's going to utilize all that cool new tech on the PS5, including the haptic feedback controllers and stuff like that, Where which I think will, uh, that gives like trigger resistance and stuff, which would be, I think, really cool in a hunter format with bow and arrow and traps and different things like that. I think it's going to come into play really well. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that they got this game to run with minimal loading times uh, on the PS4, which didn't even have an SSD, is an is an accomplishment. Like the the way that they really had player experience at the forefront. Yeah. To and obviously they had a single hardware uh, spec to work off of. Really is one of the reasons why these first party console games. For us, I'm calling Jake. Frustum calling, uh, very well utilized in this game. But also, I will say um, something we actually, now that you mentioned that, I briefly want to just say that um, a lot of stuff, uh, the reason why they didn't have the loading screens that you would think were necessary in the PS4 for the original game even, uh, w- was largely due to the fact that they procedurally generated a lot of that nature that you see mm-hmm. in environments. Uh, they procedurally generate the wildlife. A lot of stuff in that game is not hand-placed, when it comes to the tribes and the human stuff, a lot of that stuff is handcrafted and placed in the environment. But they did also meld it in this really interesting way with procedural generation of nature elements and things like that. And they just had rule sets for each different area of the map that where the environment changes as to what could be placed in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tech side of things... Really fascinating. They go into more detail on that in the Noclip doc, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Noclip, you rule. Thank you so much for the help on this episode. I used a lot from that documentary, but there's still a lot more there to check out uh, for sure. So Noclip on YouTube. Amazing documentaries about video games. Uh, Also... Aloy's super hot. I don't know why everyone got mad. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I forgot to do research on that dumb part of the thing with the dumb tweet. Okay, an idiot tweeted. Would like, you believe a guy whose entire <laughs> online presence is posting things for normal people to got mad at to get mad at got mad <laughs> normal people mad at them? Story over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was that weird tweet where they were like, "What? We need? Why are they?" unfeminizing <laughs> women in video games or something like that. Alloy is such a badass. I love the cosplays out there of Alloy as well. And uh, great character in it. And then finally, in a time when I am just... Honestly, dude, it's not even a political thing. It's just refreshing to play a different type of main character than the same, like, you know... Uh, personality-less, like, bro-dude character that has become, oh. you know, time and time before. And I love I love male protagonists as well, obviously, but it's just, it's like, I don't know, it just is, it was fun. It was, it's sad that it was like, wow, a female main character in 2017 or whatever it is. Holy, can I say something? Um, nobody yell at Holden for this hot take. I This is a pure Jake Young original hot take, and I'm frankly ashamed to be saying it a little bit. <laughs> the character of Elizabeth, who is vital to the entire lore of the story, uh, without giving away spoilers, but like sh- the entire plot revolving around how this one STEM girl, like girl bossed too hard and pissed off people. And she's just like the most val did the most homework and uh, was the most fucked over by her male coworkers. I'm I'm a little eye rolly, but like <laughs> whatever. They're Europeans. They're trying to be uh, socially responsible. 
the minorest complaint, but other than that. <laughs> JakeYoung at gmail.com. I don't even know if that's his email, but it uh, is not. So sorry, whoever has that. <laughs> so hit that guy up. Yeah, yeah. Hit him up and let him know your random complaints about this <laughs> video game this guy's probably never heard of. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I don't know. This was one of those surprisingly really fun projects to research. And uh, I'm really glad we did this episode. I think we decided to do it more so based on the release of the sequel. And it was I was just so pleasantly surprised and um, delighted to see there was a really awesome story there. And especially, I, I always have to compare it to other video game development episodes we've done, articles about the uh, crunch involved in... Holden, you are jinxing this so bad. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I know, they're totally going to come. But but it just, it's really worth... I know, they're about to... All these all the allegations. I, I Allegedly. Pray, I pray that the strength of the Yantilovin <laughs> is, uh, will keep Guerrilla Games pure. And I'm going to be baking a uh, a big loaf of the Yantilovin mm. uh, later today. So I'm going to hopefully see. I think I have enough poppy seeds to make it work. So uh, we're going to see how that goes. Either way, Theodore Rex, we hope you're doing <laughs> okay out there in the wild i who knows where he may be italy spain somewhere in europe uh i hope wherever you are you're solving crimes and i'm gonna just assume smoking weed is what you do on your off time um and uh yeah uh good on you gorilla games i hope you i wish you continued success until the inevitable kotaku article comes out <laughs> about you that was our episode on horizon zero dawn if you'd like to support us further check out our patreon patreon.com forward slash whizbrew for five bucks a month you get weekly bonus episodes either wizard and the newser where we talk about uh what we're currently playing and watching and also what's currently going on in the news of video games anime tv movies all those sorts of things we cover on the show uh or we also do the year that was where we take a look back at a year right now we're working our way through the 80s and we'll take a single year from the 80s and talk about all the media that came out that year and Go and then just spend a lot of times naming movies and being like, "Wow, weird!" Hold in, you're, that's a weird you're, one. You didn't, you didn't sell it right. You didn't sell it. Right. <laughs> weird. Spaceballs came out charting oh, wow. the trends of culture and how it changed uh, society for the better and worse. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, that's a much better sell. Patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew, and then for ten dollars a month, you can join us for our Sunday study sessions. Ten dollars, fifteen. I always forget. $15 a month, you can join us for our Sunday study sessions over on our private Discord. Every week we go over whatever we're uh, researching that week. Uh, I streamed a bunch of Horizon Zero Dawn this last Sunday, and it was super fun. Uh, Jake? Really got to press the flesh on that Patreon. We have we are liberated from uh, Spotify exclusivity. So, uh, you know, wherever you find us, uh, if you want to support us, if you want to Get that good, good bonus content that patreon.com slash whizbrew is where you got to find it. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young for all my thoughts, plops, and little research nuggets that I discovered throughout the week. And uh, go to youtube.com slash puppet Jared, which is my uh, little streaming VTuber project. We have a lot of fun. Thursdays is the cartoon dumpster where we watch some of the most bafflingly bizarre and weird cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I love it. It's a hell of a fun hang. And I think if you enjoy this podcast, you will enjoy what we do over there. And sorry, I forgot to plug my Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho, Monday, Tuesday, Friday. You know the drill. Come on by. Say hi. Always love to see y'all pop in to my chat. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. All right, Jake. Shall we do the sign off? Always remember, keep on bruising and never stop whizzing.
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.